This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria, Australia's oldest drama teacher association. Consider becoming a member to take advantage of the many member benefits. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples. We would like to pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Lawrence Page and in this episode, I'm joined by someone who has had a massive influence over many teaching careers. She is the Artistic Director of Libretto Studios in North Queensland and has performed and taught drama for over 20 years. Today, we're joined by the incredible Alyssa Oliveri as we talk about drama is history. Let's get to it. Alyssa, really great to talk to you. Hi, Laurie. How are you? I'm really well. It's hot up there, isn't it? It is dreadfully hot and it is pelting with rain as we speak. Is it really? It is. Minor flooding. Wonderful. Wonderful time of year. The monsoon. And what I like about this conversation is that people definitely tune into the Drama Victoria podcast to hear about the weather that happens in random parts of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I'm glad that you've taken some time out of your schedule um, to talk to us this afternoon. Uh, and by this afternoon, I mean whenever somebody listens to this podcast. Um, so I'm just going to jump straight into it. So today we're talking about uh, history in drama and how we can show history in drama. So I guess my first question to you is, um, how do you approach teaching history when you're teaching a drama lesson? So the first thing I would do, so if, if I was looking at epic theatre, um, I would actually introduce students to all of those other styles. I would introduce them to the concept of World War II first. I would introduce them to the idea of Hitler and the Holocaust. We would look at, you know, the atrocities that have taken place first because all of those things have influenced those playwrights to be able to write in that style. So if we look at, um, you know, Theatre of the Absurd is the British you know, if we, if we take if we take um, Samuel Beckett, uh, Theatre of the Absurd was Beckett's view on how that particular event has affected common man. If we look at Bhutto and the origins of Bhutto, it's, you know, we've got that particular style is in reaction to the events of Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki at the time with the, with the atom bomb. Um, if we look at Bertolt Brecht's writing, you know, his writing started back in the 1930s prior to the, um, the Holocaust taking place and yet in reaction to Hitler and, you know, and all of the atrocities that took place. So all of those styles are in reaction to that event. So uh, even, even plays like, um, you know, Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire, a Streetcar Named Desire was written at the same time, in the same year as Waiting for Godot, in the same year. So when we look at A Streetcar Named Desire, we can see the American influence or the American take on that event, on that war. You know, we've got our, our um, protagonist in there with um, the beautiful Blanche Dubois and, of course, we've got uh, Stanley. Uh, in in that role, in that lead role, we can see the role that the American soldier had in society. Uh, we can see Blanche Dubois and the breakdown of of her. You know, in, remember she was a prostitute throughout that war and was was really violated 
with by the troops that were coming through. So we've got some really strong themes that were coming through. And again, all in reaction to war, in reaction to what was happening at that time. So I think that, uh, you know, for us to just ignore all of that as teachers means that we're not tapping into those wonderful historical moments. And therefore, the teaching of those characters and the teaching of those units, the realism of, of Blanche Dubois um, won't have the same significance if we don't tap into that. I just mm. want to go back to something you previously said. So you mentioned that when you start teaching Brecht or Absurd, you delve into Hitler and the Holocaust. Um, I know this is a very sensitive subject, particularly if you have some Jewish students um, or students who have got a history or um, their parents or grandparents have a history. Um, so my question is, I know a lot of drama teachers, I know of a lot of drama teachers who would simply just put the history up on a PowerPoint. Um, but I know Alyssa Oliveri very well. And Alyssa Oliveri doesn't simply just do chalk and talk. So I'm curious to know, um, how would you set up uh, a practical exercise to open up this discussion about history in a way that is also sensitive to those types of students? One of the activities that I've run in my classes before has been the Star of David. Uh, and so we've quite literally had, I've had half a dozen um, fabric stars made up that with a safety pin. And we play a game where there are six children in the class who are given the star. Now, of course, this is prior to giving them any information at all. So six children are given a star. And uh, we play a name game. So everyone stands in a circle and it's that typical name game that you might do at the very beginning of a year or beginning of a term when, when you're trying to introduce a cohort to one another. So um, as one member crosses the circle, so they pass through the centre of the circle and as they do so, they call out the name of another student. That student has to enter the circle and meet them in the middle. Now they have to shake hands. At the shaking of the hands, the person who has the star has, has a decision to make. Do they pass on the star or do they keep it for themselves? So we play this game around. So, you know, that we, we walk in, we call a name, we shake hands, we move on. The next person comes in, we call a name, we shake hands, we move on. And we do that for about five minutes or so. And then right at the very end, I ask the people to stand up who still has the star. So we might all put their hand up rather to say, you know, who currently has the star? And we see where the star has moved. That's the point that I will generally tell the kids, okay, if you were given a star initially, you are one of the German informants who has informed uh, about your um, next door neighbour being a member of the Jewish community. So you've essentially dobbed on your neighbour. If you have chosen to keep that star, it means that you've chosen not to dob on your neighbour. You've chosen to hold withhold that information and not tell the other authorities about that person. If you have chosen to pass that information on and, you know, that star has passed on, you've essentially dobbed somebody into being Jewish. And all of a sudden, the, the kids have a realisation of, oh, my goodness, Miss, you didn't tell us that. You never told us that we were dobbing on someone. You never, you never told us that we were, that, that we were, you know, going to, to, to be doing that. No, that's right, I didn't. So how do you feel now knowing 
that you've actually passed on that star. Oh, well, that's all right. It's not too bad. We've just passed a star on. Okay. Now let's have a look at the significance of the star. So then we go back and then we look at the Jewish history. Then we look at the significance of the Star of David. Then we look at the idea of um, what having that star attached to their clothing actually would have meant. So, yes, it meant to be, um, you know, for the Jewish people, it was a sense of pride to wear the Star of David at the time. But then all of a sudden to have that star also meant that they were branded and eventually it meant that they were subjected to the horrors that they were. So the significance of the star, there's a lot of games that we can play around with just that idea of that star that can be pinned to the shirt. And the idea is to get kids to, um, to a point of empathy where they empathise with the idea of where the German soldiers were or, or German families were, where they, you know, they get to a point of empathy um, from that point of view, but also being a Jewish person, do they pass on a star to somebody else? Do they dob on their next-door neighbour for also being Jewish? Do they choose to wear the star? Do they choose to proudly wear it themselves? So there's a lot of games that you can play just with that, just with that one activity. So I do about six or seven different variations on that activity alone of having the star and pinning it onto the chest before we even get to the to the why. And see, this, this is the whole thing. The, the challenge with doing drama, I think, is that everything, well, my way of teaching anyway, my way of teaching is discovery learning. So I don't like to give information before we start. So I know that there are teachers out there who like to throw everything up on a, on a PowerPoint on the, on the board and say, these are the learning objectives. This is what we are going to achieve today. This is our, you know, these are our lesson aims. You know, these are the activities that we're going to do. And they will, they will essentially give all of that information to the students so, that, so as not to blindside students. But I find, um, I have found, and again, I've been teaching for over 20 years now, uh, I have found in the past that discovery learning is uh, often more rewarding both for the teacher and for the student. So if there is a particular activity which does you know, require a little bit more sensitivity in terms of the, the types of students. I might flag it with that particular student beforehand and say, look, we're, look, you know, this particular lesson, you know, we're going to be covering some quite sensitive uh, information and I want to flag it with you first. You are welcomed if you would like to just sit and watch as opposed to participate. Um, if you feel comfortable participating, you're very welcome to be involved. These are the types of things we'll be doing. So if it's one particular student, I will definitely do it like that. If it was a class of students where I think this is going to be problematic, I'll definitely, you know, change my approach so that I'm not um, I'm not isolating students or making them feel uncomfortable in that way. And again, you know, if there are if there are students who are feeling that way, again, our subject is the vehicle to open these discussions. Ultimately, our job is to teach empathy. Ultimately, that for me, that is the crux of our subject. Yes, we learn drama. Yes, we have curriculum that we have to follow. Yes, we have assessment that we have to be able to teach, you know, or teach to. But ultimately, our job is to teach two sides of the story. Our, our job is to teach that critical thinking where students are able to make up their own mind about decisions and, and they, or about situations or about events. And they can't do that with just one side. They have to be shown everything, like a smorgasbord, for them to be able to make 
critical decisions or, or to have a critical opinion. So, again, I think that that idea of empathy, knowing both sides of the story, or if there's more than one side, more, more than two sides, they have to know it in order to be critical thinkers. If you had a student in your class uh, that said something like, well, why do I need drama for history? I could go mm. and take a history class. Um, mm. Why do you think drama is such an important vehicle for teaching history? Uh I actually think it's more important. Isn't that terrible to say that? Not that I'm disregarding history as a subject because I do think it's absolutely, I think it's necessary and, and because, you know, without looking at history, we do make the same mistakes. But um, I do think that learning history through drama gives us a very different perspective of how people were treated. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example, um, the Crucible. Let's look at the Crucible. Um, you know, Arthur Miller's text, you know, we've got beautiful use of historification through there as, you know, we look at the way that um, the Salem witch trials, uh, you know, were conveyed and then we can link that right through to McCarthyism. Of course, it was written in the 1950s. I think he was married, actually. He was married to Marilyn Monroe and she was. was, yeah, and she was actually vilified through that McCarthyism as well. But, um, but then, of course, you've got also the, um, the Amish community and the strong links with Christianity and religion through there as well. So there's, there's multiple eras that have been addressed with that one play. So we can look at that one play and we can look at history from multiple angles. Then we look at it from the perspective of the characters and we get a sense of feeling as we say those words and play those lines and and rehearse those scenes, we get a perspective of how they felt being on the receiving end as those characters. So whether it was through the McCarthyism, whether it was through that, um, you know, 1692 witch trials and how those witches felt or or whether it was through those shunned, members of the Amish community who have been booted out or any community who have been booted out, you know, have been excommunicated, who have been rejected, who have been deliberately shunned. We get to feel that and understand that perspective. We don't get that if we're just reading the history about it. Mm. You know, when we look at um, Waiting for Godot, how did the majority of Europe feel at the conclusion of the war. It was very different to the way that Australians felt. It was very different to the way that Americans felt. And we don't get that through, you know, through um, uh, a streetcar named Desire. We don't get the way that Europe felt by reading Streetcar Named Desire. We get that when reading Waiting for Godot or from reading Endgame, you know, or any of those other texts, yeah? I'm, I'm, you know, honing in here on Beckett, but I know there are a million others as well. So we we truly understand the way that common man felt at that time by engaging with those texts. So we could study, we could study World War II, but we would never understand that psyche, that human psyche and what they went through unless 
we were really identifying with that common man and how they felt at the time. Alyssa Oliveri, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Laurie. And that's all for this episode of The Aside. Huge thank you to Alyssa Oliveri for giving us her time. If you would like to ask us a question or you have a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to contact us on asidepodcast at outlook.com. We respond to a number of emails each week and are always happy to help. Thank you so much to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support and thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. And of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>